Well, we've talked about the my way or no way people. And we've talked about the nitpickers that you can't ever satisfy. And we've talked about the megaphone people who are loud and obnoxious. And we've talked about the volcano people who are angry and you never know when they're going to erupt, but when they do, everybody knows. So we're going to talk about three more today. Let's look at number five. Look at number five. We've looked at four. Number five is pity partiers. And you got your notes there. They're right beside you or behind you or in front of you. should be able to find a copy there. Pity partiers. Okay, pity partiers. Let me tell you about these people. They're never content. They're always getting their feelings hurt. It's very, very easy to hurt their feelings. They're very, very touchy, very, very thin-skinned. They whine a lot. They have daily pity parties. Uh, they're consumed with a poor me attitude. They're chronic complainers. They've got the martyr complex. And uh, i got to tell you, and this is where you need to really be careful with them because this is how they get attention. This is how they get attention. They're never happy, and it's always somebody else's fault. All right, don't point, don't point. Number six, smart Alex. Y'all ever had any smart Alex in your life? Let's talk about these people. They demean you. They, uh, they got smart mouths. They're rude. They're insulting. They use very cutting language. Matter of fact, they use cutting language, but they're very artful about it. Uh, they say it in a way that if you say, oh, that hurt my feelings, they go, I don't even know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? I didn't mean that. Yeah, anybody? Don't point. Listen, listen to this. They're dream killers. These people are dream killers. They're dream killers. You got a dream, if you get around a smart aleck, he'll tell you why it's never going to work. They love to burst your bubble. They love to deflate you. They get particular joy in telling you how you don't measure up. They're often disrespectful. They can be very petty, and they can be mean. And by the way, they are rude because they have enormous insecurities themselves. And um, often the more insecure a person is, the more rude they tend to be. Have you ever noticed that? And then number seven, um, we're going to spend a little time on this one, Sp super spiritual people. Super spiritual people. These are the people who, if you'll just really look close, they're not even touching the ground. They're kind of floating just a little bit above the ground because they're so what? Spiritual. They're spiritual. If you don't believe it, ask them. They are committing a sin, and it is the sin of spiritual pride. It is the same sin as the Pharisees. The super spiritual person views him or herself as having the keys to the kingdom. And no matter how hard you try, you can't quite measure up and get the keys to the kingdom. Only they have them. Now, they tell you they want you to have them too, so that you will keep coming to them asking them how they can get the keys to the kingdom how they can get this deep insight that you don't have and this understanding of the Bible and God and spiritual matters that you don't have. And they'll tell you they're helping you, but they'll also tell you you're not quite there. Keep coming. Keep coming back. Keep letting me manipulate you is what they're really saying. They believe they've got an inside track with God and that um, others can't quite access that inside track. 
They love uh, the teachings of fringe writers and speakers and teachers, and they detest mainstream Christian writers and books and teachers. When you talk to them about your understanding of the scriptures and spiritual matters, they look at you like they feel sorry for you. Oh, really? That's what you believe it's saying right there in that verse. So sad, so sad. I feel so sorry for you. You're so shallow and I'm so deep. And this is, their, this is not their words now. This is just their body language, their facial expressions. I used to have a lady, I've been here pastor 25 years. I used to have a lady come by the office about once a month, bring a stack of books with her. And it's writers and people I'd never heard of. I, I mean, they might have been good writers. I just had never heard that. She never had a mainstream book. She never had a Chuck Swindoll book, or she never had, uh, you know, writers uh, um, that we're familiar with and know about. She always had people I'd never heard of. And she would just talk to me, and she'd open her books and go, let me read to you a passage from this book. So then I'd go, so I guess what you're saying is blah, 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 blah. You know, is that what you're saying? And she would look at me like, oh. Poor pastor. You're so shallow. I'm so deep. And uh, you probably got some people trying to manipulate you like that. Don't fall for it. The super spiritual people, they want you to be dependent on them. And they want you to think uh, that you have to come to them if you want to hear from God or understand the things of God because you can't ever know what they know. Not quite. They'll tell you you're on to it, but you're not quite there. They have no interest, I've noticed, a lot of them have no interest in the local church. Uh, the, unless they can control it. If they can control the leaders and the agenda, then they'll come to the local church. But the moment the pastor or the leadership of the church goes, you know what, this just isn't who we are and this just isn't who we're going. They won't stay and come under the vision of the leader. They always want to control. They... Um, I've noticed, too, that they jump around from church to church a lot. I know from time to time people change churches, and I understand that. But they'll be at a half dozen churches in six months or a year, ten churches. And then all of a sudden they've been to all of them, and there just isn't one spiritual enough. There just isn't one that gets it like they do. So they end up, and I'm not against house churches if people say God's called you to have a house church, but I've noticed that... Most of the time they end up having church in their home because they just can't connect with anybody who's really spiritual enough for them. Any church or pastor, spiritual leader, they can't submit. According to them, all local churches are shallow, and if they attend one, they say things like this, I'm just not getting fed. Just not getting fed. They won't volunteer, I've noticed. When you need somebody to change diapers in the nursery, they're too spiritual. Too, I'm pretty spiritual when it comes to that, too. But um, I'm not too spiritual to set up some chairs. I'm not too spiritual to... I had a couple this morning. I should have said this in the early service because they were in the early service, I believe. No, I think they're here now. And they walked through the kids' church, and I was teasing the wife about her husband. I said, have you come to check him in kids' church? You know. And they looked at me and said, you know why we're walking through here? I was like, why? They said, because we wanted to see if they might need us today. 
God, give me more people like that. Give me more people like that. It's not our day to serve. It's not our day to volunteer. But we know that some Sundays people are sick or people have issues they can't get here. So we just like to kind of walk through every Sunday when it's not our Sunday and just see if they need us. Is that not awesome? Can we just give it up for that couple right now? I'm telling you, that kind of mindset right there, you can build a great church with people that think like that. They're humble people and they're not super spiritual. And I just love them. Matter of fact, some, you might not even know what I'm talking about. You might not get it. So we're going to have a couple of guys come out here. The guys that are coming out here, uh, Pastor Jared Grantham and Jonathan, they're going to come out here. They, um, these guys have won several awards for acting. And uh, you're, you're going to love uh, this today. But, you know, sometimes when we're telling our story as Christians, we get real spiritual. And, uh, and so we're going to listen as they share how not to tell your story as a Christian. So, Jonathan, um, the, the whole God-Jesus thing obviously means a whole lot to you. What's the story there? Yeah, well, uh, are you ready to have your mind blown? Yes. June 22nd, 2003, summer solstice. I was sitting there in my studio apartment, and I just sat down. I made myself a bowl of cereal for breakfast, you know, cinnamon toast crunch, so kind of with the crunchy squares, cinnamon swirl, and sugar. Delicious. And as I sat there about to take another bite, I looked down at my spoon, and one of the squares seemed a little, a little abnormal, a little different. So I held it up to get a better look at it. And then right then, the light from the window just shined perfectly, perfectly on the cinnamon swirl. And I saw on that cinnamon swirl the image of Jesus Christ himself. Yeah, yeah, mind-blowing. So right then, I, I, I looked at it, and I just dropped my spoon into the bowl, and I got down on my knees. And I called out to God. And my hips... My hips began to tingle. And to this day, I don't even know why. But I do know, at that moment, I call out to God, and I have been following Him and serving Him ever since. That's unbelievable. Do you want to know the crazy part? No. I get back in my chair, I look in the bowl, the milk has turned to wine. So when you're telling your story, give it up for these guys. When you're telling your story, I mean, you may have had some kind of awesome experience, probably not that one, but you, you may have had some. But when you're talking to an unbeliever, when you're talking to somebody who's never been in church, when you're talking to somebody who doesn't understand a lot of the things that we've come to understand because we've been in church for a while, we have to be very careful about that. Also, there's another thing we do. I call it Christianese where we use spiritual words and spiritual language. As a matter of fact, I run into people from time to time that use it on me, and I don't know what they're talking about. And so they're going to show you uh, how not to talk to people about spiritual things. So, Jared, man, you're obviously really passionate about the church, or you're really into it. I mean, why is that? What's up with that? Well, <laughs> brother... Um, this is just a blessing for me to be able to even share this with you. Um, I have been seeking the Lord's face about this very thing. I guess for me it started when I was born for the second time. You know, born again. 
And I had to ask Jesus to come live inside of me. And I knew I had to become a new creature for that to happen. I mean, you can't put new wine in old wineskins, right? So the old me died. But the new me was resurrected with Jesus. And when I found out that the blessings of Abraham were mine, brother, I started to get excited. I mean, I was redeemed from the curse of the law. My heart became circumcised. And yours, yours can be too. We could pray a prayer and I can have you washed in the blood in less than 30 seconds. Does that hurt? <laughs> Thank you, guys. So, I mean, we know, you know, most of us know what that means. I mean, we would get that. But if you're talking to somebody who hasn't been in church or somebody who you're trying to reach for God, you know, you've got you to gotta, uh, uh, watch your language, watch, watch how you talk about that, how you explain that. Now let's talk about four ways, we've already discussed four ways to respond to people who are crazy, okay? Because sometimes, let's do it again, sometimes the crazy person is me or you exactly so we got to be really careful about that so so number one number one let's don't be offended by them they e- it's easy for them to offend us i mean it's easy to get offended by a crazy person don't do it number two don't wait for an apology if a crazy person hurts you or does offend you don't wait for an apology just go ahead and forgive them because sometimes crazy people don't even know they hurt your feelings so you got to apologize. Number three, don't gossip about them. That's a really hard one because when I talk to crazy people, I want to call somebody and tell them, don't you? I want to call and say, you know, I'm not going to believe what this person just said to me. But that's gossip, and we don't need to do that. Don't do that. Number four, refuse to participate. We keep saying choose to refuse. So choose to refuse to be offended. Choose to refuse to not forgive. Choose to refuse to gossip and choose to refuse to participate in their little mind games. We're actually going to take number four deeper as we go to five and six today and how to deal with crazy people. So number five, number five, I think is down at the bottom of your page. The fifth thing you need to do in response to crazy people is refuse to meet their demands. Crazy people can be very, very demanding. They can be very demanding, and so no matter how demanding or manipulative they get, you got to choose to refuse to give them what they want. This is very important for us as Christians because we want to love people. And you say, I know, Pastor, and you know, you talked about we got to forgive them, you know, and, and we got to not be offended by them. I understand all that, and that's all true. I'm not, I'm not negating the things I've already taught, but at the same time, God does not expect you to let them run over you and run your life. Now, we looked at that last week. Y'all remember those verses I gave y'all last week? Man, I set some of you guys free, didn't I? When you realize you could mark some people off your Facebook, block them, because they're just going to always pull you down. We found that scripture, you know, I think in the Bible it's referred to as Facebook. Some of you will get that going home. Um, 
But here's what we think as Christians. We think that love is when we allow people to manipulate us. That is wrong. Love is not allowing people to manipulate you. That is not love. As a matter of fact, when you allow people to do that, manipulate you, um, that's unloving to you. It's unloving to yourself. It's unloving to God. Because when you love, when you do that, people think, well, that's how God loves, but it's not. And I got to tell you, when you let people manipulate you, you know who else it's unloving to? The person who's trying to manipulate you when you just let it go. Okay? So you got to be careful about that. Many Christians think that the Christian way to respond to irritating or crazy people is just be passive. Just be really passive about that. But I, wanna, I just want to remind you, and I know this is very simple today, there is not one verse in the Bible, not one single verse in the Bible that says God wants you to surrender to manipulation. And I know, again, you're saying, you, but pastor, you told us not to be offended. You told us to forgive people, you know, when they are trying to me. I mean, if somebody's manipulating me, pastor, shouldn't I just forgive them and let it go? No. See, there's a difference in forgiveness and trust. And I put this in your notes because I want you to get this. Forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness and trust are two different things. Forgiveness, when somebody's trying to manipulate you, forgiveness is based on grace and you should forgive them when? Immediately. But knowing that they're manipulators, you have to, you have to be on guard about that and trust and learning to trust them again is built by observing actions of not trying to be a manipulator. You observe that over a long period of time, then you can what? Trust them again. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if a person is a manipulator in your life and you finally have that hard meeting with them and you look at them and go, hey, listen, I want to be friends with you. I want, to, I want our marriage to be good. I mean, I want you... As my child, I want us to have a good relationship, but I'm going to tell you, child, I'm going to tell you, parent, I'm going to tell you, friend, I'm going to tell you, wife or husband, I know what you're doing. When you do that, you're trying to manipulate me and make me feel guilty and make me feel like I've got to give in to you. And I'm telling you, I forgive you for doing that to me, but you're going to have to stop doing that over a long period of time in order for me to build up my trust again. And be the same around you. Be what I'm supposed to be around you. Let me give you an example. Let's say there's a guy who's an alcoholic. He gets drunk. He beats his wife. So he comes to her after this, and he looks at her and goes, and you know, he gets sober, you know, and he goes, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, will you forgive me? You know what her answer to that is? Forgiveness comes when? Immediately, so her answer is what? Yes, I'll forgive you, I'll forgive you. Now there's four reasons, and I didn't put this in your notes, so if you want to jot these down, it's real easy. Four reasons why she has to forgive him. Number one, number one, she is a Christian and God commands it. God commands her to forgive him. The second reason she has to forgive him is because she has been forgiven herself. She's been forgiven, so she is to forgive. Number three, she knows she's going to need to be forgiven in the future. So in order to reap forgiveness in the future, she's got to sow forgiveness now. Y'all with me? 
And the fourth reason she has to forgive him is because when you don't forgive people, it builds up resentment in you, and resentment turns to bitterness, and you become a bitter person. So she goes, I don't want to become a bitter person, so I'm going to forgive him. Okay? Then he comes with that after she goes, yes, I forgive you. And then he says, so can I move back in the house? And her answer to that is no, because I've got to have trust in you. And trust is not overnight. It is built up by observing actions over a long period of time. Amen, amen? Now, I'm not advocating separation, but I, I, y'all, we, we talked about physical abuse and, in a marriage, and, and I laid that out in our sermon series, Ask It, and you know where I stand on that. But you, you've, you forgive and you love and you give opportunities for you and that person to be together and to talk, but the reason you give them those opportunities is so they can, over a period of time, prove that they're not a manipulator anymore and prove that they're not going to hurt you anymore. Here, here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. Forgiveness does not mean that when you hurt me and I forgive you that you get to pick back up on hurting me again. So you hurt me and I forgive you and because I don't have much experience with you on that, I'll let you right back into my life. And in a little while, you've hurt again. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the fact that you're sensitive or thin-skinned. I'm talking about really hurting somebody. I mean, really betraying somebody. So when they do that, you have to look at them and go, listen, I keep letting you back in. You keep hurting me. So here's the deal. I'm going to forgive you. I'm not going to hold it against you. I, but I've got, to, I've got to bring some separation between the two of us. We're going to spend some time together, but I want you to know that the time we're going to spend together in the future is me giving you an opportunity for me to learn that you're not going to hurt me anymore. And if I see that you're going to keep hurting me, we've got some major problems. Y'all with me? Now, when it comes to a married couple, that's a little bit different. You need to go into counseling. You need to get some help. And we've got that for you right here at the bridge. We'll help you. So you might look at that and, and know that you've got to do that, that you've got to have that kind of help. But in a relationship that is a friend relationship, and I won't tell you, even a family relationship, and they won't quit hurting you, then you've got to bring some separation between you and them because God doesn't expect you to keep going back into an environment where you keep getting hurt over and over and over again. That's manipulation. And when you go back into that environment, you're allowing them to manipulate, and they're just going to keep doing it. I hope I'm making sense. So there are two different issues. Forgiveness and trust are two different issues. Let me give you some examples of frequent demands of crazy people. Just practical, everyday stuff. People are, going to, people are going to try to manipulate you to go against your conscience, to violate your conscience. You young people, you teenagers, you young adults, all of us, every one of us, uh, at work, in relationships, you know, if you really love me, you're going you're gonna to do this with me. See, that's a manipulative statement. That's somebody looking at you going, I want you to violate your conscience for me. You know what that tells me? That tells me it isn't about you at all. It's all about them. It's all about them and them getting what they want. 
And of course, we're talking about a physical relationship with somebody, a sexual relationship that's outside of marriage. And you, you girls, I'm sure y'all have heard it all from guys who say, you know, if you care about me, if you love me, and then they'll even go this far, if you want this relationship to continue, then you're going to have to give in in that area. Manipulation, it is a sin. It is a sin. Girls don't give in to it. But we live in a new day. It isn't just the girls that are being pressured. Guys are being pressured. And guys, don't you give in to it either. Don't you give in to it either. Manipulation to violate your conscience. Maybe you're at work and your boss says, listen, if you're going to keep your job here, you're going to change those numbers right there. But they're not the right numbers. If I change those numbers right there, it's going to make things look better than they are or it's going to make things look worse than they are. And I just can't do that. I've got to put the real numbers down. Well, you want to keep your job here? That's manipulation. That's manipulation. Another one is uh, um, the temptation to be involved in so many things that it begins to get in on your God life. Listen to me. I didn't say church life right there because I don't want you to think I want you to give something up to give more to the church. Here's what I'm preaching you might need to give something up to give more to God. And when you remember a time in your life when you weren't so busy with a bunch of other secular things that you had time to pray and you had time to read your Bible and you had time to spend uh, with God quietly and all of that, and now you're at a time, you, you've volunteered and gotten involved in civic organizations and you're involved in this and, you're, and all of a sudden you look around and you have no more prayer life and you have very little Bible life and you used to be this deep spiritually and because you've neglected things and allowed the world's pressures to manipulate you and get you in a whole bunch of stuff you had no business getting into, now you're this deep spiritually. So you're all, there's always manipulation. I mean, when you walk out the church, when you go to a place like Disney World or you go to any kind of uh, a vacation spot, there's all kind of manipulation. Do this, spend your money here, spend your money here. You have to let the Holy Spirit be in That's why we get in financial trouble. That's why we get in trouble in our marriages. That's why we get in trouble spiritually because we allow ourselves to be manipulated. Me too. I'm in that too. So let me just get right down. What if, what if you hear a disparaging remark about a church or you hear a bad remark about a Christian or, or about the Bible or about God? Are you just going to be quiet about that? You say, well, last week you said that there were times we needed to be quiet. But now we're going to read, look at Romans 14, 16. Romans 14, 16 says, Do not let what you know is good be evil spoken of. You say, well, now it's telling me to speak up. Last week you showed me where Jesus was asked a question and he didn't speak up. How do I know when to speak up and when not to? You know, we covered that. Do y'all remember? What's that word I used? Discernment. If you don't walk in nearness to God and you don't walk in close proximity to God and have an intimacy with God, then you're not going to know when to speak up. See, this verse says speak up. When you hear something good being evil spoken of, you're not to let that happen. But the way you know when to speak up and when to be quiet like Jesus was when he was before Pilate and when he was in front of the Pharisees is you have to walk in intimacy with God. And in that moment, the Bible says, he will give you 
what to say, or he will say, now's not the time to speak about that. Now, if you're going to walk away from God, and, you're, and the only church you're going to get is here on Sunday morning, and I'm going to tell you something, there's nobody here I know who eats meals just on Sunday. I've seen you people, you eat every day. And so it is spiritually. I'm asking you right now, what are you doing from the time you leave here today until you get back in church? Have you got a strategy? Have you got a plan? We have devotionals that are free out there. You can pick up one of the devotionals. We got Bibles over here who, that are free. Guys, listen, you got to feed yourself because something's feeding you. You're eating on something. I'm talking spiritually here. You're eating on something. And if you don't eat, if you're not intentional about what you eat spiritually, just like if you're not intentional about what you eat physically, you're not going to be healthy. You're not going to be healthy spiritually. And when you're not healthy spiritually, you don't know when to speak up and when not to speak up in a situation. And then if you do speak up, you don't know what to say. That comes from God. That stuff comes from God. That comes from walking intimately with God. Okay? Now, um, now, when you hear this, when I tell you not to let people manipulate you, you, you think of verses like, blessed are the meek. Uh, they're going to inherit what? The earth. You were hoping to inherit. The, I mean, when Jesus comes back and sets up his reign on the earth, you were hoping to inherit some of that, weren't you? So you're going, I got to be meek, but pastor, you're telling me don't take it. But meekness isn't weakness. Meekness is not weakness. As just like forgiveness and trust are two different things, meekness and weakness are two different things. If you are meek, you are strong. Who was the meekest man in the Bible? Jesus. The Bible says Moses was a meek man. The Bible talks about how meek Moses was. Now, I want you to listen. Did Moses walk right into the throne room of Pharaoh and say, let, let God's people go? Does that sound meek? He was meek. But see, meek and weak aren't the same thing. You can be meek and strong. As a matter of fact, meekness, biblical meekness, is strength. Let me give you a, a, a deeper meaning, a little illustration here. When you study the word meek and you look at it in the original language, when you study meek in the Greek, meek in the Greek means what you do to a wild horse. If you've got a beautiful wild stallion and that horse is strong, that horse is muscular, that horse has gifts, that horse may have the gift of speed. It may have the gift of strength. It might be a horse that's really smart that you could teach to do things on the farm or whatever. And you got this beautiful stallion there. Well, he's no good to you. Listen to this. Unless his strength and his gifts are brought under the control of the master. Now, I've never broken a horse. I have watched people do it on TV and it looks extremely painful. You ever seen a good western where they got to break the horse, you know, and the horse is bucking and fighting, and that's such a picture of us, and the rider's a picture of God as he's trying to bring our gifts and our strengths and the things we're good at under his control. Listen to me, God doesn't want to take your strength away. God doesn't want to take your gifts away. God doesn't want you to be a weakling. But God does want to bring you under his control, and that's what that means. As a matter of fact, 
back in that day, the old days, when they would break a horse or they would see the need to break a horse, they would say, he needs to be meeked. They would actually use that word. And when they had done that, they would say, uh, he is meeked. He is ready for a rider. He is strong. He's still strong. He's still fast. He's still got every gift he had, but he's not wild anymore out here doing whatever he wants to. His gifts, strengths, abilities have been brought under the control of the master. So meekness has nothing to do with weakness. You can be a very meek person, a very humble person, and be a very strong person at the same time. Is that clear? So let's talk about it a little bit. Paul uh, confronted the Corinthians about being weak. Look at 2 Corinthians 11.20. 20. Uh, the church at Corinth, right here, church at Corinth, was uh, in Greece, and Paul was an apostle. Now, we, in our day, we, we see on TV, apostle so-and-so. Let, let me tell you something. That's a title somebody gave. Now, I'm not saying that person don't have the gift of apostle, but I've met a lot of apostle so-and-sos that were not apostles. Because apostle is a spiritual gift. And Paul was an apostle, and if you were an apostle, you went into an area where there was no church or no strong Christian witness, and you established one, and you built a structure of leadership and systems so that that church could grow, and then you turned it over to a senior pastor, and then as an apostle with the gift of apostle, then you'd go to another city and do the same thing, and that's all Paul did. That's what Paul did. So Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthian church because they were a tough church. It took two letters. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty, he says, In fact, you let people, which indicates to us that, we sh that Paul is telling him you shouldn't let people do this to you. He says, you let people make what? Slaves of you and what? And... Why you even let them strut around and... So Paul is saying, you guys just keep on giving in to all the bullies in your life. Stop it. Paul goes, I never taught you that. See, when Paul, when Paul established that church and left, false teachers came in. How many of you know that'll happen? False teachers came in, and Paul heard about what was going on and some, and some teaching and doctrine they were buying into. And so he writes him this letter and goes, man, these guys are bullying you, and you're letting them bully you. What's wrong with you? You keep letting people intimidate you, and you're caving in to them. As a matter of fact, in the New International Version, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty, 20, and the NIV says you're letting them exploit you. And take advantage of you. And Paul says, stop it. God doesn't expect you to be a doormat. God doesn't expect you uh, um, uh, to, to let these people run over you. Being a doormat is not the Christ-like thing to do, Paul says to them. See, that's the confusion. That's the confusion right there. Is we think because, you know, have you all ever seen TV uh, when, when there's a, a, a minister or a priest or a pastor on TV, it's always some little, eh, I'm the pastor. You know, some little weak guy that you're like, you know. I'll go brave heart on you. I'm the pastor. I'm the machine gun pastor. Y'all remember me? 
You can be humble, you can be meek, and at the same time go, hey, the manipulation stops right now in the name of Jesus. That's the kind of leadership we need today. And so Paul is telling them right here, he's saying, stop doing that. You think it's Christ-like. You think letting them manipulate you is, is being like Jesus. He said, it's not. Meekness is strength under the master's control. And then Paul wrote a whole book about it. I mean, Paul wrote one whole book about not letting people manipulate you. Do you know that? Did you know, did you know that the whole book of Galatians? Galatia also was a city in Greece, and Paul went in there and started a church, and, and that whole book's about stop letting people manipulate you. And um, again, Paul left. These super spiritual came in. They were Judaizers, and they tried to get the people to turn back to the old ways and not function under the new covenant under Jesus. And, he, and, and these Pharisees came in and began to teach things that weren't in the Bible and that God never expected and that Jesus never taught. And, and Paul says to them, you know, what Paul taught, well, the false teachers, when they came in, they said, you know what Paul taught about grace, that's fine. But it's not just grace that makes you a Christian and makes you right with God, but it's grace plus works. They said, so if you're going to get to heaven when you die, not only do you depend on the grace of God, but you've got to do some works. So it's not just God who can get you there, but it's God plus you equals heaven. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that's false doctrine. It isn't grace plus works equals heaven. The thing that's going to get you in heaven is grace. Grace alone, the work of Jesus. You say, well, what about all these people around here I see who are serving Jesus? And they're all working. They got on these t-shirts. They're working. Because Jesus is in them, they desire to serve. They don't serve to be right with God. Hear me. They serve because they are right with God. So, so Paul is telling the Galatians. He's saying they're coming in here with their do's and don'ts. And uh, they are suffering, they're causing suffering among you and they're suffocating you with this load of legalism. And Paul writes the, the church at Galatia letter and says, what are, what are you guys talking about? Where did your freedom go? He starts talking to them about how they've let people talk them out of their freedom. He said, man, when I left you guys, you were free. He said, and you've let these false teachers and these Judaizers and, and, and these Pharisees come in here and put you back in bondage. Jesus set you free from all that junk. You're set free from the law. If Jesus set you free from, from the fear of death and Jesus set you free from the pain of bitterness and, and Jesus set you free from the guilt of sin, why would you go back? He also set you free, Paul said to them, from the expectation of others. Hear the word of the Lord today in this church. Be free from the expectation of others. You're never going to make them happy anyway. God didn't. Amen? Last time I checked, they killed Jesus because they weren't happy with him. And it wasn't the alcoholics and the drug addicts and the adulterers and the fornicators. It was the Pharisees who killed him. It was the religious people who killed him. Don't let people put you back in bondage. Don't let them do it. Paul was telling them, you're not living for anybody else's plan for your life. You're living for Jesus' plan for your life. Can I, just, can I just say right here, you're not living for me. Don't come to church so Pastor Farrell will approve of you. I don't even approve of me sometimes. 
Don't come, to, don't come sit on these chairs to hear from God and go, I've got I to gotta go hear Pastor Farrell preach so I can hear from God. Listen, you can hear from God in your house. You can hear from God in your car. You can hear from God uh, uh, wherever you are. You don't have to come to me. I'm not some uh, uh, priest between you and God, and in order to communicate with him, you've got to get up with some senior pastor, some priest somewhere. That's why Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Listen to me, to give you access. You've got access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And don't let any preacher or any pastor or any priest or any spiritual leader who was a human being come to you and say, before you can do anything, you've got to come through me. I'm telling you, that's manipulation. Now, listen now. Let's balance it. If you're a new believer, then you want to put yourself up under some people you trust. You want to submit to some people you trust. But you'll recognize if they're trying to manipulate you no desire to manipulate you. I, I want to teach you. I mean, does this teaching sound like today somebody wants to manipulate you here at this church? No. We want you free. We want you free. Look at Galatians 5.1. Paul said, we have freedom now. And here's why we have freedom. Why? Because Christ made us free. So what are we to do? Stand How? Stand strong and do not allow the manipulators to change you and make you go back into the slavery of the law. People are always trying to do it. The Judaizers were doing it here just like they were at the Corinthian church. Some of these false teachers, they're on the internet, they write books, they're on the radio. Listen, it really gets confusing because I know some people who believe in the cross and they believe in Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus and they believe that he died and they believe he was buried in a tomb and they believe he rose from the dead and they believe that's how you become a Christian. But here's where the false teaching kicks in. When they begin to tell you that that is enough for your salvation, plus we've got all these rules over here you've got to do too. See, you say, but pastor, isn't it important that we live a holy life? Yes, but the law is now not on a page in front of you. The law is written on your hearts. The law of God is written on your hearts, and you don't behave and you don't live holy because you read the rules on a piece of paper. You live holy and right because he has come into your life and he rules in your life, and it's your good desire to please him. Do you see the difference? That's freedom. That's freedom. Jesus, people are always trying to restrict him. What Jesus does, uh, the, the Pharisees said, what he does offends us because he doesn't follow all our little bitty rules about the Sabbath. You ought to read about that. You ought to study it. I mean, these Pharisees had rules about the Sabbath you wouldn't believe. If you got a tack in your shoe, you had to make sure you took that tack out because it was a sin to carry a burden on the Sabbath day. I'm not kidding you. That was one of the laws. It's crazy. Let me ask you something. When a religious system comes up with rules like that, what are they trying to do to you? Control you. Here's what I want to do. Here's what the bridge. We want to connect you to Jesus. You say, you say, well, I've been to churches that, boy, the pastor kind of laid it out like if you didn't come to him. And, well, here's why I fear that. Because you're going to spend 10 minutes with me and go, man, he's, got, he's messed up too. 
Why would I direct you to me? If Millie was up here, she'd be going, don't, don't. He is not God. I want to connect you to him. I want you to serve him. I don't want my name to be the name you're talking about during the week. I want his name to be the name you're talking about. That's where the freedom is. That's where the freedom is. So important. So they're mad at Jesus. And we're not going to put this on the screen, but you got it in your notes. Look at Matthew 15, 12 through 14. Y'all got it right there in your notes? Is it on page 2? Matthew 15, 12 through 14. Then the disciples came to him and asked. And I'm going to just say it because the, the, the disciples are really wimping out right here. And the disciples go, Jesus, did you realize, Jesus, that you offended the Pharisees by what you said? Jesus replied, hey guys, every plant, every law, every rule not planted by my heavenly Father will be rooted up. In the book of Hebrews it says, what can be shaken will be shaken and one thing will stand. What is it? The Word of God. He says, these guys are teaching you stuff that, that isn't the scripture. He says, so every plant that you see, spiritual plant, so-called spiritual plant, was not planted by my heavenly Father, and in the end, it will be uprooted for the false thing that it is. And then Jesus gives them a three words of advice. What is it? I didn't say it. Who said it? Jesus. Jesus goes on and says, they're blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will. So if you follow the manipulator, you're going to be in the ditch and he's going to be in the ditch. And the people said, that's good preaching right there. Ignore the legalists who try to bring you under religious bondage. Don't allow them to do it. Don't play their game. Refuse to cave in. Jesus said what? Ignore them. Ignore them. Now here's the deal about that. And I, and I got to hurry because I want to get y'all out of here. Here's the deal about that. I may have a conviction that you don't have. Here's, here's, here's that's kind of Christianese right there. So, Maybe there's a thing in my life that I think I can't do, that I shouldn't do, because God has told me personally, Pharaoh, that's something I don't want you to do right there. But it isn't in the Bible not to do it. But in my time with God, he has said, I don't want you to do that right there. Let me give you an illustration. I've given this illustration before, but it always illustrates it well. How many of y'all remember Mr. T? Pity the fool. So what if, what if before I became a Christian, I wore all this jewelry and all this stuff? I mean, I look like Mr. T, you know, with the rings and the jewelry and stuff. And let's say, I know that's funny to think about me like that, isn't it? And, um, and then somebody's out there, no, not really. So, so let's say that, and then let's say that, um, that I give my heart to Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, Pharaoh, you know how much you love jewelry? You know, you kind of worshipped it. You kind of worshipped jewelry. And I go, yeah, God, you know, because <laughs> I'm feral tea. And so, and so God goes, you know, now that you're serving me and now that you've given your life to me, I want you to do something for a while. And I'll let you know when you don't have to do it anymore. But I want you to lay all your jewelry down. 
because that was a God for you. And I want you and your submission to me, I want you to lay all your jewelry down. Don't wear any jewelry. See, that's a personal conviction. But it becomes wrong when I stand up in the church and go, I was with God. And he said, nobody can wear jewelry. See, what did I just make? My personal conviction, I just made it something for you. I made it a what? A legalism. So that's what the Bible means. There's one of the things the Bible means when it talks about you working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, that you're going to have things that God kind of prohibits you from doing that isn't spelled out in the Scripture. He's going to prohibit me, and, but allow me to do some of the things. You're not, because of things we worshipped in our past, Anything, listen, anything, even if it's a sin or not a sin, anything that pulls us away from God, God's going to bring conviction in your life about that thing. And it's good for you. You want him to do that. Number six, refuse to come down to their level. Refuse to come down to their level. Don't come down to their level. Don't do it. No matter how crazy the crazy people get, don't you get crazy. Always do the right thing whether they do or not. Listen to me. If they insult you, treat them with kindness. Everybody say, help me, Jesus, because this is going to be hard. If they're unloving, do you love them? If they're resentful, do you forgive them? If they're mean to you, be nice to them. Always take the high ground no matter what the crazy people do. You cannot control what people think about you or say about you or how they treat you. But you can decide to give yourself 100% to God so he can control you by the power of his Holy Spirit. And your response to that kind of treatment can be holy and pure and right, graceful and loving and kind, a response that pleases God. Romans 12, that whole chapter is about taking the high ground with crazy people. Let me just pull out a few verses. Romans 12, 14. Bless those, do what to them? Bless those who what? Are crazy to you. Bless those who persecute you. Don't Curse them <laughs> in the church parking lot <laughs> when we get out. And I had to stand in line to get my baby, and I'm in line to get out. Keep your religion, no, your relationship with God intact. Have y'all ever had somebody tell you you were number one? You know, we've talked about you're number one. <laughs> you're going down the road. I, this is, a, this, <laughs> now you got it. This is, let me just tell y'all how I think, okay? And I know, I know, I'm crazy. But I was thinking, what if as Christians we just picked a whole different finger? I mean, we know what finger not to use, don't we? So what if we pick this finger? And when we got the bad finger, we went, you need Jesus. I mean, I was just thinking about that. But I knew that my thoughts were not of God because God said <laughs> they might be too far away to know what finger you're using. So scratch that whole idea. Just scratch that. Do not go out there today and go, you need Jesus. Because you'll be misunderstood. 
I'm here to help you people. So when, when people pull out in front of you and all that stuff, bless those. Do not curse them. I put the Pharaoh Hardison version up there. No wonder y'all couldn't follow me. Romans 12, 17 through 21. If someone has done you wrong, do not repay him with a wrong. Try to do what everyone considers to be good. This is in your notes. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Verse 18. Do everything possible on your part to live how? With how many people? Verse 19. How often? Take revenge, my friends, but instead let God's anger do it because God's good at it. For the scripture says, this is quoting God from the Old Testament, I will take revenge, I will pay back, says the Lord. So leave that to him. <laughs> you know, when somebody does something on the way home today and they tell you you're number one, just go, God will handle it. <laughs> I'm not doing anything, but you're in trouble. Look what verse 20 says. Instead, as the scripture says, if your enemies are hungry, what? Feed them. If they are thirsty, what? For by doing this, you will make them. That kind of feels good, don't it? Here's what he means by that. Because burns with shame sounds like you're doing something. It, it just means this. When you're good to people who've been mean to you, it convicts their heart. It, it makes them go, man, I, I was wrong. See, if you look at him and go, I was wrong. You did me wrong. You did me wrong. You're number one. You know, you did me wrong. You need Jesus, you know. You, you did me wrong. And see, you, what you want to do, man, is you just want to react in the way Jesus would have reacted because if you want them to see that they're wrong, that'll make it happen right there. Because here's what happens. When you react, God help me, I don't always do it, but when you react godly, when you've been treated ungodly, here's what that person says. Whether they say it, whether they say it um, um, in their conscious mind or subconsciously, they're saying, I looked ugly there, and what I saw in him or her is how I wish I was. And it brings conviction. That's what it means, burn with shame. Look at verse 21. Do not let evil defeat you. Don't let it defeat you. Instead, conquer evil with good. Hey, so pastor, if I'm not offended by them, if I forgive them before they ask me, if I don't gossip about them, if I don't play their mind games, pastor, if I don't try to meet their demands, if I don't give in to their, their demands, what if I take the high ground? I mean, God, if I, pastor, if I do all that, what's going to happen? The Bible tells you what's going to happen in Proverbs 16 and verse 21. Look at this verse, or verse 7, Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways, when your ways in responding to crazy people are pleasing, to the Lord, he makes even your enemies, what does it say? At peace with you. Now, who here today, and you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody use a little peace in your life? Anybody need a little more peace in their life? Uh, me? And what brings, what brings turmoil in my life is when I react wrong 
to the crazy people. And what brings peace in my life is when my ways toward those who want to hurt me are pleasing to God, it will give me peace even with those who meant to harm me. That's pretty good right there.